you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and if you'll also open your worship folder and take out the notes that are provided for you, many of our, many of the verses that I'll be using this morning are in your notes, but there are some longer passages that you'll need to have your Bible open for. The book of Proverbs, as, as many of you know, is not a book that's easy to preach from just beginning to end, or to teach from beginning of end. If you've read through it, you know that it covers many topics, and it covers them rather sporadically. And so, in while normally at Crosspoint, if you're visiting with us, you, you would normally get uh, a sermon on one book, and we would go from verse 1 in that book to the end, but in the book of Proverbs, we approach it a little bit differently. We do have to take it a a bit more topically and just see what does God's word here in Proverbs have to say about this particular topic. And one topic that it speaks to very frequently is money. Money. And so this morning we'll consider the topic of of money, and next week we'll look at work and uh, the balance of work and rest from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And uh, these topics are somewhat related, work and money, they usually go together. And uh, so these are the topics for the next couple weeks, and then we'll have two more on uh, Proverbs before Nick arrives. Again, Nick will be here October 23rd, will be his first Sunday with you preaching. So uh, just to make sure we, we know that this is needed, uh, a quick search for finance books on Amazon, as of this morning, it might have changed in the last hour, but it would bring up 523,738 results if you type in finance books. 523,738 results. Probably more books ever than ever in history has been published on the topic of finances. And despite that, in 2008, and I'm going to give some statistics here, the college seniors uh, graduated with an average credit card debt of $4,000 and this doesn't include an estimated 20000 average that students will collect in student loans. In 2009, Americans paid $22.9 billion in credit card fees. Over half of Americans in 2012 said that within the last 12 months, they had carried over a credit card balance and paid interest. It's like burning money. Just burning it. They were paying interest because they couldn't cover the monthly bill. The national average default rate on credit cards in January 2012 was nearly 30%. That's up from earlier years. It continues to rise, the default rate on credit cards. And then the national debt, as of this morning, was $16,024,689,622,937.79. That leaves $51,106.13 in debt for each one of us in here, for every citizen. So, if you've read through all 500,000 books, maybe we should try the Bible now, right? Maybe God's wisdom would have something to say to us about money and how we're to use it, how it's to be used. Now, for Christians, the topic of money isn't just another issue where we need the most recent self-help book or a financial expert so we can improve our lives, our savings accounts, save up for our children's college. It's, it's not just a, about those things. You see, for Christians, money is an issue that reveals where our loyalties lie. 
According to Jesus, money is the other master that competes for our worship. It answers the question, are we going all in with the king of all the earth, or are we betting on the world to satisfy us? Our finances are always a reflection of our worship. Paul reiterates this teaching through the Holy Spirit. He writes, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Friends, we need God's wisdom to teach us how to deal with money rightly. And in getting our money right, we'll also get our worship right. It's an important topic. It's not just a a self-help thing, as I said, but it's about our heart and our heart reflecting God, worship of God. And so the principles we'll look at this morning, please hear, they're not simply advised principles from Proverbs. They're principles for obedience to God. So we have two main points this morning. Wisdom's warnings to us about the use of money and wisdom's priorities. Wisdom's warnings and wisdom's priorities. And the first aspect of wisdom's warnings that we'll look at is wisdom saying to us, be diligent, be diligent. Proverbs 21.5, if you're looking at your notes, you'll see this there. The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. You see, money rarely comes to those who sit on their hands. It comes through a process of planning and then also pursuing it takes diligence. Proverbs thirteen eighteen. poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore discipline. Proverbs 27, 23, pay careful attention to the condition of your flocks, the writer says. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, nor does a crown last from generation to generation. Now, in case you think, young people, that this doesn't apply to you, know that much of the Proverbs were, were taught to younger children and people who were about 13 years of age. Often these things were taught to them so that they would know how to be responsible adults. Parents, we don't need to wait to teach these types of things to our children. Your goal is to raise up healthy adults, not just well-behaving children. And so... We need to ask ourselves, are we, are we a diligent people? And I'm not just, it's not just referring to do we work hard, but also are we well, good managers of what we have? So it's both aspects. It's are we working hard? Are we pursuing things ad- adequately with all our energies? But then also, are we managing well what we have? For this person who it's told, pay careful attention to the condition of your flocks, give... Give careful attention to your herds, for riches don't last forever. We need to know that not every season in our lives are going to be as prosperous as another one. And so we might need some of the leftovers to get by in the future. And the Proverbs instruct us to save up in case something comes that we can't predict. I want to ask all of us, what would motivate us to be more diligent in planning and pursuing wisely for our financial future? I, I want to give you just three motivators for your diligence. Three of them. First, the greatest commandment is to love God with everything we are and everything we have. Therefore, we really need to examine if we're loving God well with our finances, if we're being diligent with what he's entrusted to us. Secondly, the purpose of every Christian is to glorify God by being conformed to the image of his Son and to make disciples of all nations. How does your money reflect that? Your managing of your money. 
Are you wasting it? Are you saying, well, this dollar doesn't matter. It can't do much anyway. Well, dollars may mean a lot in the kingdom. Furthermore, God has promised the path of diligence to be a path of blessing. And so, do we want God's blessing? He gives it in the path of diligence. So, the first word from wisdom is, be diligent in pursuing this. But then the second one is, earn money honestly. In your diligence, also earn it honestly. Proverbs 10.9, the one who lives with integrity lives securely, but whoever perverts his way will be found out. So this person who decides to go a little different route, maybe uh, money is tight, and so you decide to change the number on the time card just a little bit. It might be something very simple. But this person lives looking over his shoulder, just waiting to be found out. But the one who lives with integrity lives securely. He's not worried about the days to come. He's not worried about possibly being found out because he's been honest in all things. But it doesn't only affect that individual who's dishonest. Proverbs 15, 27. The one who profits dishonestly troubles his whole household, but the one who hates bribes will live. You see, our dishonest schemes might seem secret at the time, but could eventually be the ruin of your whole family. So, Christians, no matter how tight things may get, trust the Lord to be a good provider. Don't trust yourself in your own schemes. Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gained quickly will dwindle away, but the one who gathers it little by little will become rich. The instruction of the Proverbs is to be diligent and then to do all of this honestly. There's temptation sometimes. Just it, it might be something really, really small. But trust the Lord that He is a good provider and that danger comes to those who would be dishonest and earning, trying to earn money. And then another principle from Proverbs if you do enter debt, do it cautiously. If you do enter debt, do it cautiously. Proverbs twenty two seven. This is a great one to remember. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The borrower is a slave to the lender. Until your debt's paid, you're under obligation to a lender. And the interesting connection is that Christians are to be slaves only to Christ. But see, if we load ourselves up with debt, our interests are divided. Now, if you do have debt, and many of us do, some form, be faithful to pay. But also, pay it as quickly as you can. Get out from under that slavery so that you can serve the Lord with all that you are and not be under that obligation. Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. Listen to what the father tells the son. As we said last week, the father's instructions are always very urgent. And here he's urgent in terms of finances. He says to his son, if you've put up security for your neighbor or entered into an agreement with a stranger, you've been trapped by the words of your lips, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Do this then, my son, and free yourself. For you have put yourself in your neighbor's power. Go, humble yourself and plead with your neighbor. Escape like a gazelle from a hunter, like a bird from a fowler's trap. This situation is very practical to us. Basically what this son has done is he's co-signed on a loan for someone. Someone else has wanted to make a purchase 
And so that son has said, I'll I'll co-sign. And what that means is that if this person defaults and is not able to pay for this purchase at some point down the road, they will come to this son. In other passages it says, they'll come to you and even your bed will be taken away from you. It's not easy to know what that means. They will take every last thing. And so the father urgently says, go, plead with the neighbor, get out from under his power. Now, it's hard to admit when we've mishandled our finances, isn't it? That's a very hard thing to admit. It's a very personal thing. And so the scriptures instruct us that in these areas we're going to have to be humble. We need to humble ourselves and we need to go plead with someone. Some of us might be in in over our heads in debt today. And we might need to go plead with someone. The father then instructs him not only to get out of this situation, but also to approach finances differently. Listen to the next verses. This is verses 6 through 11 of Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Observe its ways and be wise. It has no commander, overseer, or ruler, yet it prepares its food in the summer. It gathers at the harvest what it will eat. How long, you sluggard, will you lie there? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to relax, and your poverty will come upon you like a robber and your need like an armed man. The ant provides a lesson in financial planning. Not only should this son not get close to unwise debt, but he should also be storing up a bit for whatever days might come. So if we are going to enter debt, we need to do it cautiously. I would advise you and have talked to other church members older and they say, never co-sign on anything, even if it's family. Be very cautious. One particular member talked about how he did co-sign on something, not being aware when he was younger of this advice. And they came to him with over $300,000 asking, In God's grace, they would eventually uh, not demand that. He said he keeps that little slip of paper as a reminder of God's grace and protection. So this is good wisdom that we might protect ourselves. Now the Bible doesn't provide a prohibition against every form of debt, particularly something like a, a reasonable house note. But it does address going beyond our reach. A house note or a car that we can't afford. Want-based debt rather than need-based debt. And friends, a commitment to only a house note or a car note when it comes to debt could protect you from bad decisions. It could help you to learn to live within your means and enable you to give more to God's kingdom. It'll protect you from making that great purchase on the department store credit card. If you can't pay for it, it's not a good purchase. I think an example of this is Crosspoint. I think Crosspoint's, it's not individual, but I think the church's commitment to no debt has been a blessing to us. Just think about the fact that we had no debt, and so we were able to freely give up the tithe of 60 of our members to send them to a church across town. Can you imagine if we had gone ahead and gotten into debt and built a new building, and then trying to say, Should we really send 60 of our members? These are tithing members. But the fact that we haven't gotten a debt as a church has enabled us to freely give to God's kingdom. 
And the same is true for all of us as individuals. If we will guard ourselves against individual debt, unnecessary debt, it will allow us to live more freely for God's kingdom. Romans 13, 7 through 8, the New Testament gives, uh, affirms these teachings. Paul says in these passages, Pay everyone what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. He's talking about everything. Money, whether it's money or whether it's uh, something else. Honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Crosspoint, Christians, we need to be aware of the cultural lure to, to live beyond our means. The normalcy of debt and of always owing someone. That, that's normal in our culture, but it's not biblical. Our goal should be able to commit our finances more and more to God's kingdom. And the way we do this is by loving Christ more and more, committing our desires to Him, and then as a result, He teaches us to live self-controlled lives. Titus 2.12 The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people and it trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, let's ask ourselves, are we struggling with pride in our possessions? With a strong pull towards materialism? This is something we need to commit to prayer accountability with a godly friend and mentor and we need to use the scriptures like this one that instructs us in self-control we use that and the holy spirit helps us and we fight against materialism and we give more of our lives our finances and everything for god's glory so if you enter debt please do it cautiously this is the wisdom's warning show restraint in the pursuit of wealth also While we are to be diligent, we shouldn't let that make us obsessed in pursuing wealth. Proverbs 23.4, don't wear yourself out to become rich. Be wise enough to restrain yourself. When you gaze upon riches, they are gone, for they surely make wings for themselves and fly off into the sky like an eagle. John Rockefeller was supposedly asked at one point, how much money is enough? And he would reply, just a little bit more. His point was there's never enough. It's always just a little bit more. And so while we should be diligent people, we should also not become obsessed with seeking wealth. Isn't it amazing how God causes people to such balance in the Christian life? Show generosity in the use of it. Show generosity in the use of it. This is right after that passage about not wearing yourself out to become rich. Proverbs 23, 6-8. Don't eat a stingy person's bread and don't desire his choice food. For it's like someone calculating inwardly. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You'll vomit the little you've eaten and waste your pleasant words. Some of us might be able to remember ourselves in a situation where we're on the other side. We've offered to pay for someone's lunch, but then we're hoping, I hope they don't, Pick the expensive thing. Right? But you see, we, the Bible tells us that we don't get rich by being stingy. In fact, it's the opposite. 
Proverbs 11, 26 through 24 through 26. One person gives freely, yet he gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched. People will curse anyone who hoards grain, but a blessing will come to the one who sells it. You see, Christians should be generous people. We should be diligent and we should be generous. I had the opportunity to talk to several church members this week about the biblical principles that had led them in their finances throughout their their lives. And it was, I enjoyed so much just hearing their responses. The consistent thing I heard, though, was about God's faithfulness to them as they tithed. God's faithfulness to them as they gave to others. One, One person said, God always replaces it. They would give extra above their tithe, the 10%, but they said God always replaces it. Another said, you can't outgive God. They would keep giving and you say, you can't outgive God. Another said he and his wife have always believed that 90% of their income was more than 100%. That the 90% would go differently when they devote the 10% to the Lord. And so while saving, as we've said, talked about storing up like the ant, Saving and being wise is honorable. Stinginess isn't a virtue. And the point of earning money is not only to provide for ourselves, but to be able to be generous. Ephesians 4.28 The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. The point of working is so that we might also be generous. I want to ask you practically. Are you tithing? Are you tithing? This is simple. Are you devoting 10% or whatever it may be? Are you devoting it to the Lord? Are you being stingy? Are your hands open or are they closed? One of the people I talked to said that they've always had this open-handed concept that if their hands are closed, they can't receive from the Lord. And then what they have in their hands, it just doesn't refill itself. But if their hands are open to where they're receiving and then they're also able to be generous, God is able to bless. It's just a, a mental picture that might help. And so, are you tithing? It doesn't matter how much you make. Are you giving a portion to the Lord and to the work of His kingdom? Are you aiming to be more generous? Or, or in other words, are you working towards greater financial health? Or are you digging a deeper hole? See, our aim should, we should definitely just devote a minimum to the Lord. To give to His kingdom. But our aim should be that we could give more and more. Our whole lives are created for God's glory. And so our aim should be that we would grow in being able to give more and more to His kingdom. And so... We need to ask ourselves, are we just digging ourselves a deeper hole? Limiting our ability to serve Him and His kingdom? College students and young people, I would encourage you, don't think about just now. Think about ten years from now and how you can be serving in God's kingdom and giving. Wisdom's priorities. These are wisdom's warnings. Let's look at wisdom's priorities. You know, Proverbs is very honest in recognizing that money, it, just, it has its benefits. There are some people who are rich and there are some people who are poor in this life. And those who are rich, there are benefits that come with that. One of the Proverbs says the rich has many friends. The poor man, 
not so many. It recognizes that wealth sometimes opens doors on earth. But there are also things that wealth cannot do. Wisdom's priority. Seek character over wealth. Proverbs 22.1 A good name is to be chosen over great, great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. All of us have probably experienced this. Some wealthy people are the most miserable to be around. Whether it's their arrogance, their pride, and all these, whatever, their stinginess, whatever it may be, some wealthy people are not fun to be around. And that wealth cannot replace their reputation. Seek humility rather than pride. Humility rather than pride. Proverbs 18, 10 through 12. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. But listen about the rich man. A rich man's wealth is his fortified city. In his imagination, it's like a high wall. See what happens for rich people? Sometimes it's so difficult for them not to put all their confidence in what they have. Their material wealth. And think, I don't need anything else. This can provide for all that I need. But then look what happens. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. Some of us may have heard of of personal stories where a person was very proud because of their wealth and thought that that could get them everything. But then uh, some tragedy struck. Things began to fall down around them. And they were greatly humbled. And it was then that their heart began to be open to God to God's comfort, to His grace. So we need to seek humility rather than pride. We need to be careful about having pride in what we own. First John mentions this. Seek humility rather than pride. Also seek righteousness and fear of the Lord over worldly gain. Proverbs 11.4 Wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath but righteousness rescues from death. Make sure you hear this one. Wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath. On a day of judgment, money will not open any doors. None. But righteousness rescues from death. Then, Proverbs 2, 4-5. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure... Wisdom says, then you will understand how to fear the Lord and you will discover knowledge about God. You see, what we should do is we should look at the way that the world pursues wealth and we should say, with all our hearts and with all that's in us, instead of pursuing wealth that way, we will pursue wisdom that way. We will pursue fear of the Lord in that way. And if we pursue Christ and godly wisdom the way many pursue wealth, we would know the fear of the Lord. We will have the righteousness that will protect us in the day of wrath. Friends, money won't protect you. And so if there are some in here who who are trusting in what they have, or talents or abilities that they think are going to earn them something and open some doors for them, it won't open a door on the day of judgment. Only righteousness will. Only the righteousness of Christ, the one who humbled himself and died so that you could be saved. I want to close by looking at 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. 
and then 17 through 19. Will you turn to 1 Timothy with me? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Page 993 if you have one of the pew Bibles. Or chair Bibles, excuse me. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 11, and then we'll skip down to 17 through 19. There are some people in this situation that Paul is addressing who have begun to believe that godliness would be uh, profitable for, for material gain. It's easy to begin to think that, right? Even after reading the Proverbs. We know that sometimes if, if we're honest if we, in our dealings and if we are diligent, then there will be blessings that, that come from that. That's the way we started, that they're in diligence, there's a path of blessing there. But Paul is going to rebuke that idea and say it's, it's not necessarily about material gain. And so we'll start in verse 6. Paul says to them, Now godliness combined with contentment brings great profit. You see, what we are to do is we are to be godly, but then be content in any circumstance. He goes on, For we brought nothing into this world, and so we can take not a single thing out either. But if we have food and shelter, we will be satisfied with that. Those who long to be rich, however, stumble into temptation and a trap and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people in reaching for it have strayed from the faith and stabbed themselves with many pains. But you, Timothy, he says, as a person dedicated to God, keep away from all that. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then in verse 17, Paul begins to speak directly to the, those who are rich. He says, command those who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty or to set their hope on riches. These are uncertain. But on God, who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, sharing with others. And this way they will save up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the future. And so lay hold of what is truly life. What is truly life. There are many possible directions for application today. For those who are who are wealthy, are you being generous with what you have? For those who, there may be some in here who just really want to be wealthy. Do you have the wisdom to restrain yourself? For all of us, are you living with generosity? Are you trusting that as you give, the Lord will also provide for you? In what way do you and I all, we need to submit ourselves to the Lord in terms of our finances. For all who are followers of Jesus, who've been rescued by His grace, will you seek your heart for areas in which you're not committed to Him, to giving generously for His glory? Maybe you need to give or save up so that you can go on a mission trip. Have you been on a mission trip? Maybe you need to set aside money to cut some things in your life, some non-necessities, so that you can go so that you can experience an opportunity of making disciples of all nations. We give to, go to Uganda at least twice every year. Maybe you need to give to a missionary. 
someone who's seeking to do that and giving their life to that. If there's anyone here who's, who's new to Christianity and to all these things, I would ask you after, after the service, I, I have some books here that are just an introduction and might help you walk through not necessarily just questions about finances, but questions about Christianity in general. Maybe this is piques some interest or some questions. But for all of us who are Christians and who are followers of Jesus, again, as we began, this isn't about just having, just having healthier finances. It's truly about how healthy our worship is. If we were to look at each other's finances, does it reflect a devotion, an entire devotion and submission to the God of the universe and the God who's rescued us from our sins and commands us to make disciples of all nations and tell them about the great news of Jesus dying for the forgiveness of sins? That's something worth giving to. So let's, we're going to pray together. And I would just ask you if you'd like to take time to pray or if you just want to sing in response, you're welcome to do either of those. Again, if there's anyone who has questions or is new to the faith, then please uh, come up and love to talk with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace to us in so many ways. And we thank you that even in terms of our money, you have addressed how we're to behave and how we're to act. Lord, where there are areas of selfishness in our hearts, Lord, we pray that you would expose those and there might be repentance, that we might change and devote ourselves to you. Lord, where there are areas of misuse, we pray that you would reveal these. Where we haven't been good managers and we haven't been diligent, Lord, we pray that you would expose it and that we would repent and turn. We thank you for your goodness, Father, and your grace to us. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.